Hey, what's good, fam? We appreciate you tuning in to the South City Church Podcast. It's our prayer that as you hear the better story of Jesus, you might experience more of his redemptive power in every square inch of your life. Hey, we're a church plant. We benefit greatly from outside support. So if you'd like to partner with our ministry here, you can go to southcityrva.com slash give and join us in seeing strangers made family in Christ in Richmond and beyond. God bless and shalom. So you may go ahead and turn to Psalm 65. And as you turn there, uh, this this sermon may be a little bit different than, than normal, a sermon that I would normally preach. Um, this, this entire sermon from beginning to end is going to be a, a straight up meditation on God and who he is. Uh, normally, I and Jonathan, we've, you know, we've taken our seminary classes, our preaching classes, and we deliver sermons with three main points. Week in and week out. Sometimes I do two, sometimes I do four. Um, never do I do nine, which I'm going to do this morning. So rather than three main points, there's nine main points, but really these nine points are just different angles of who God is. We're just going to extract the goodness of God from the psalm this morning and look at him from nine different angles. And as we do that, I realize that nine things are a lot. So you're not going to leave here this morning remembering all nine things, all nine angles. So what I want to invite you to do is we work through this. And again, because there's nine, we'll work through pretty quickly. Um, I want you to just be present, be still, and pay attention to maybe one or two of these angles of who God is that really grab you in this season of life. We're all in different places. You're going to be struck by different aspects of God this morning. So I would encourage you as we're working through, just hold on to one or two that God speaks to you in. And then at the end of, uh, end of the sermon, I'm going to give a little application based on that. Um, but to keep the holy Trinitarian number of three in this sermon, we're going to have three sections this morning. And really, they're the three stanzas of the psalm, which is already broken up for us. And those three stanzas are... The God who draws in, verses 1 through 4. The God who goes out, verses 5 through 8. And the God who blesses, 9 through 13. Uh, So, with all that rambling now, would you join me in reading Psalm 65? Praise is due you, O God, in Zion. And to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose to bring near, to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the holiness of your temple. By your awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. 
so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You would greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow, and the hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. And they shout and sing together for joy. This is the word of the Lord. So let's jump into the the first stanza, verses 1 through 4. The God who draws in. And what I mean by that, this is the God who draws others into himself. He's the God who pursues and draws in. Like our vision statement, strangers made family. This is the God who reaches out to strangers and makes them family. He searches out orphans and he gives them a home. And remember that the context is important. So the psalm is is written uh, to Israel, the nation of Israel. And it says, praise is due you, O God, in Zion. And that word Zion can, can both refer to heaven, where God resides, And it can refer to Mount Zion in in Jerusalem, the the, the capital of Israel, the place where God's presence would descend and manifest itself in in the temple. Oftentimes, Israelites who didn't live in Jerusalem would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem to make sacrifices and to pray and to be near God's presence. Which means that when they weren't there, there was distance. There was separation between them and God. And we all know that that sin has separated us from God. And so the first thing I want us to see about God is in verse 2. It says, O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. God is the good listener. Sin has separated us from God. And God has made a way for that distance and that separation to be traversed through prayer. God makes himself available and gives us his divine listening ear, people who are and have been separated from him. And again, the the, the picture here is of Israelites making pilgrimage to be able to pray to God in Jerusalem. And when they weren't in Jerusalem, wherever they were, When they prayed, they would orient themselves in the direction of Jerusalem. People who are far away can be brought near in prayer. The distance between us and God can be traversed through prayer, and God listens to us. I want you to, for a minute, turn your attention to my dear brother, Jonathan Bowell. He's not in here this morning. He's in children's. But Jonathan, um, I was going to say loves. Jonathan really, really, really likes Tom Brady. Most of you know that. Tom Brady is 
a quarterback, so I hear, maybe one of the greatest, maybe the greatest of all time. Uh, he was New England, New England Patriots, finished out his career with the Buccaneers, maybe the greatest quarterback to ever walk the earth. Jonathan really likes him. So I want you to imagine one day that somehow Jonathan gets Tom's home address. Jonathan's probably already done this. And Jonathan writes Tom a letter. Yo, what's up, Tom? I got some really important things to discuss with you. Can we meet up? Here's my number, by the way. Hit me up. That's it. Now imagine Tom Brady calling Jonathan back and saying, yeah, man, I got time for you. In fact, um, I'm going to fly to Richmond and I'm going to meet you at O'Toole's. I would love to hear, would love to hear what's on your heart. (laughs) Uh, Ridiculous. Not going to happen. Tom Brady has better things to do than get lunch at O'Toole's with Jonathan to hear about his problems. Uh, He's not going to traverse the distance to come talk to Jonathan. Yet the holy and righteous and all-powerful God Almighty in Zion will traverse the distance from heaven to earth to hear from Jonathan and from us 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, every day into eternity. Stop and think about that. That's ridiculous. The God who spoke galaxies into existence will listen to you every time you want to talk to him. This is the the God who draws in. He is the good listener. And some of you love being heard. And some of you feel like you're not heard very well. It could be in your marriage. It could be in your friendships. It could be in your workplace. It could be in the church. It could be all those things. You don't feel heard and listened to well. Some of that's probably true. But the good listener always listens. And as he listens to you, as God listens to you, he doesn't just hear the words you're saying. He perceives the emotions, the affections of your heart. You're listened to, people. You may not be listened well to by me or by those sitting around you. We want to grow in that. But God always listens. He's the good listener. Talk to him. God is the good listener. And second, he is the sin forgiver. Look at verse 3. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. You see, that the distance we just spoke of between us and God is not empty space. It is, it is space that is littered with giant obstacles called sin. And so in prayer, God has made a way to traverse the distance. In his atonement, through the sacrifice of his son, and through forgiveness, God crushes the obstacles that stand in our way. Of him. He is the sin forgiver. 
And for Israel, in this context, they would have brought lambs and bulls and and goats to sacrifice regularly to atone, to pay the punishment for their sin. So their sin could be washed clean and they could be holy. It didn't actually accomplish that. It was all pointing towards the lamb who would one day come and actually be able to do that, which was Jesus. The lamb of God, the final sacrifice. Jesus, he, he, he obliterated the Mount Everest-sized obstacles of our sin so that we could be drawn near to him. He traversed the distance and he crushed the obstacles. And Jesus was cast out of Jerusalem to be slaughtered so that we could be brought in. And as he forgives us of our sin, he continues to draw us in even further, which is the third point, that God is the homemaker. Strangers are made family. Orphans are given a seat at the table in God's home. Look at verse 4. Blessed is the one you choose to bring and bring near, to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. God is the good homemaker who brings us in to share and enjoy his goodness in his home. And again, for Israel, the the home is, is the temple. It's the place they would come to experience God's presence and the goodness of his house periodically and temporarily. But it's better for us, and many of you know that. Because Jesus came, he atoned for our sin, he brought us in, and then when he ascended back to the Father, he sent his Holy Spirit to come and make his home within us. We are now the temple. God has made his home in us while we are away from our our permanent home, which is to come. God has taken the things of heaven, and through his spirit, he's placed them within us to dwell. Paul says in Romans that through the spirit, he sheds abroad the love of God into our hearts. The spirit comes in, and he takes the love of God from heaven and and the home of God, and he takes it, he sheds it abroad in our hearts, so it's here. He takes the the fruit of heaven, the fruit of, of the spirit, and he brings it here. We have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And one day, one day God is going to bring the the fullness of home down to us. See, we, we were meant to dwell with God face to face. Sin has separated, and ever since, God has been making a way to be home with us. And one day that journey will be complete and God will, will bring his permanent residence in, in heaven. The new, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens will come down to earth. And the full renovation will be here. And every ounce of good, every ounce of joy, every ounce of delight will be full. And we will dwell with God face to face for all of eternity. God is the good homemaker. 
So he's the God who draws in strangers, aliens. He draws in through prayer. He draws in through his death and resurrection, his forgiveness. He draws us into his home. The second stanza shows us he's also the God who goes out. Verses 5 through 8. And here first we see that he is the hope giver. Look at verse 5. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness. O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. God draws in. But he does that as he goes out to the ends of the earth, the the farthest places. And as, as this was being written, they didn't have an understanding of the world like we do. We kind of at least can look at a globe and a map and see what the ends of the earth are, the seas. They didn't know. There was this vast mystery. But they understood that God loves all of his creation. And he extends his salvation to the ends of the earth, to the farthest seas, to bring, what does it say? To bring hope. Hope is a confident assurance of what's to come. It's a confident faith. It's a longing for what's to come, not with like just wishfulness, but confidence that what God promises is going to be true. He's the hope giver. And you may think, well, what do I have to be hopeful for? Well, there's many things, but here's a few. You can hope that God is working all things out for good. Why? Because he's said so. And his word is true. You can have hope that your suffering is not wasted. And meaningless because God says he's using our suffering to strengthen us and make us like Jesus and and bring about beauty. You can have hope that you have an eternal inheritance that is far beyond anything you can imagine right now. Because God has promised it. You can have hope that you are being made into the likeness of Jesus Yes, you, in your sin and your failures and your shame this week, God is making you like Jesus, and one day he will complete the work that he started. You can have hope that he's going to make all things new. You can have hope that your tears will one day be wiped away permanently, and there will be no more pain, and there will be no more sin, and there will be no more weeping. And you can have hope that the sickness and the brokenness you feel now will one day fully be healed and you will be whole. God is the hope giver. Verse 6, he's also the mountain builder. The one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might. How many of you have ever stood at the bottom of like a significant mountain range? Not just the Appalachians, like the Rockies, the Swiss Alps, the Andes, the the Himalayas. How many of you have like stood at the base of some of those mountains? Many of you. The rest of you should. But it's okay because if you don't, you'll get to do that for eternity. But... What did it feel like when you stood there? How did you feel about yourself? Ellen's saying, 
wee little. You probably felt really small, maybe insignificant, maybe, maybe powerless. How did you feel about the mountains as you stood there? They're big, they're strong, there's power, there's, there's majesty, there's, there's immensity, they're enduring. Now imagine the God who spoke those mountains into existence with a word. Imagine the power and the might and the strength of God who created those by saying, let there be, and they were there. How strong do you believe God to be for you? I think most of us would acknowledge that God is strong for the world. Most of us in this, in this room believe that he's going to make all things new, that he spoke the world into existence. But yet, you struggle to believe that God has some sort of strength and power in your marriage. In your anxiety and depression. In your, your fear of how you're going to provide for your family. And all, everything, everything else that has to do with you. Brothers and sisters, this, this power is for all of creation. But through Jesus... It's extended to you. I don't know what obstacles and fears you face, but he's strong enough for you in them. If he can speak the world into existence, if he can part the Red Sea to bring his people through, if he can raise the dead, he's strong enough and he's powerful enough to help you when you need him when you're weak, and when you're out of control. He is the mountain builder. The power that defeated death in the resurrection of Jesus, that same power is wielded by God on your behalf, day in and day out. He's the mountain builder in verse 7. He's the sea calmer. He's the one who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. I shared this a few weeks ago, but the, the, the sea in ancient times was a symbol of chaos and disorder. It was something to be feared. It was the unknown. It was, it was, a, it was an unknown power that was to be feared. And throughout Scripture, we see that God and we see that Jesus is the one who orders the chaos. He calms the sea. He did it in Genesis 1, where the Spirit hovered over the chaos and the darkness of, of the waters, and He brought order out of it. He brought light out of it. He ordered the chaos for the nation of Israel time and time again as they were going into new lands and facing new enemies, and it was utter chaos. And as God's people were obedient, the Lord brought order to the nations and brought them into the promised land. Jesus calmed the, the physical sea when he was on a boat with his disciples, and they were freaking out. And he told the waves and the wind to die down, 
And they did. And one day in the new heavens and the new earth, Revelation 21 says, or 22 says, the the sea will be no more. God is saying that that one day the, the chaos will have been fully ordered by Jesus. He's the sea calmer. If he can do these things, he can calm the seas in your life today and this week and next week and the week after. Verse 8, God is the joy bringer. So that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. I like the NIV translation here. It just, it flows well. The NIV translates, it says, the whole earth is full, sorry, the whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. And the, the New American Standard says, you make the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. So, so contrast this with the previous verses. You've got the dark, raging, chaotic storm in the sea. And now we, we transition to a, the beauty of a sunrise or a sunset. When's the last time you not just saw it in passing, but stopped and like sat and watched a sunrise or a sunset? How did you feel? What did it, what did it do to you? I don't know about you, but when I stop and pay attention to sunrise or sunset, it calms me. I see that the sky that's so immense I can't, can't imagine, and it's painted with pinks and oranges and reds and purples, and it's stunning. And it makes me kind of happy. <laughs> it, it draws out some joy in me. You know, sometimes in our life, joy looks like just a really subtle, calm contentment in the midst of the storm. It's not shouting. It's not vibrant. It's when we're in the midst of the storm and we have this peace that, hey, things are going to be okay. That's, that's joy. But there's also the, the joy that, like, hits us in the face when we see something beautiful. And like, we just, we want to sing about it. We want to shout about it. Some of you probably do. Some of you stuff it because that's not cool. But it, like, it wants to come out. Uh, I want to be more like my daughters in, in some ways. <laughs> in many ways I don't. But they sing all the time. They just walk around the house. They walk around the yard. They walk around food lions singing. Many times they sing the songs that they're hearing in in church. And our youngest, Ayla, doesn't know 75% of the words, but she doesn't care. She sings them anyway. They're all wrong. Why is she singing? Why Why do the kids sing? It's because they're happy. They're not so worried about life that the joy gets choked out. Because children 
and some of it's in their, you know, their ignorance, but, but, but God calls us to be like children. They're not worried by all the responsibilities that we get worried by because they believe deep down that they're safe, that their parents are going to take care of them. And so they sing. We of all people should be a singing people. I want to be more like my girls. I want joy that carries me through the storm, and I want joy that erupts in terrible singing when I see a sunrise. We worship the, the God who draws in, the God who goes out in the last section, the God who blesses all. So in verses 9 through 13, there's, we're going to read it in a second, there's all these um, physical, agricultural blessings. And for, for Israel, they were, they were in, a, in a covenantal relationship with God. And God told his people, if you walk with me, if you obey my commands, if you live by faith, I will bless you physically. I will bless the land. I will bless the streams. I will bless the crops. I will bless the animals. Because their livelihood revolved around these things. Physical blessings would come. And for us, it's it's not exactly the same. But I think for us, we can read this and realize that the, the physical blessings that God promised Israel in this covenant, he promises to us, but they're, they're spiritual. They're spiritual blessings that God promises his covenanted people, the church. I'm going to read a few verses to, to bring this to light. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you're in Christ, brothers and sisters, you don't really realize this on a daily basis, but you have been blessed with every single spiritual blessing that exists in heaven. 2 Peter 1.3 His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. God has given us everything we need for a godly life. Ephesians 1, 7 through 9. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Through Jesus, God is, is, is lavishing This is excessive. He's pouring out the excesses of the riches of his grace upon us. And by the way, this is supposed to be under the the point that God is the bounty maker. He is the bounty maker. Uh, Let's let's read uh, verses 9 through 11. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing it with growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. 
as God extended His bounty and His blessing to Israel through the land and through their crops. He extends His blessing and His bounty through us, through His Son and through His Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and all that comes with heaven. As the psalmist is meditating on these blessings, would ask you, when's the last time you stopped and took a moment to meditate on the blessings that you have received in Jesus. Most of us don't do that well because we get, we get choked. Those things get choked out by the worries of life and we soon don't have eyes to see the blessings. But may we be a people who see and worship that God is the bounty maker. And last one, Verses 11 through 13, God is the beauty adorner. I know you may think I'm stretching it here. That's okay. He's the beauty adorner. 11 through 13. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. There's this imagery of of God clothing, girding, crowning, decking the land with beauty, with clothing, with beautiful clothing. And I want to, we're going to wrap this up, I promise. I want to turn to Isaiah for just a minute. Isaiah, turn to Isaiah 61. Just a few books ahead of Psalms. Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah 61. Should have marked it. So we're not going to read it all. But I'm going to start reading. And the first... The first... Mm, the first two verses are the verses that, that Jesus read in, I believe it was Mark or Luke, when he's, when he's in the temple and he stands up and he opens the scriptures and he reads these verses and then he concludes by saying, today the scriptures have been fulfilled in your hearing, meaning these verses in verse 1 and 2 and everything following are actually about Jesus. So Psalm, or Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Jesus, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning the garments of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So Isaiah is saying that Jesus is going to come. He's going to bring salvation and redemption and healing. And the people that he heals, he's going to beautify. 
He's going to give them a beautiful headdress, a garment of praise. He's going to clothe them with the righteousness of himself, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And the NIV says that they may display his splendor or his beauty. God is the beauty adorner, and what he does through Jesus is he clothes us, he beautifies us with the person and the character of Jesus. Colossians 3.12, Paul says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, or clothe yourself as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and he goes on. He's saying, clothe yourself, adorn yourself with the beauty of Jesus. And if you tie this back to Isaiah 61, it's so that God's people would display the beauty of Jesus to the world. He is the beauty adorner and adorns us to image his beauty so the world can see. God is the good listener, the sin forgiver, the homemaker, the hope giver, the mountain builder, the sea calmer, the joy bringer, the bounty maker, the beauty adorner, and hundreds of other things that we haven't even touched this morning. So as we close, I want to come full circle and ask you to think about which one or two of those aspects of God struck you this morning. Which ones was God speaking to you through? In simple application, sometimes simple is best, I want to invite you to to take that aspect of God, one or two, and sometime today or in the next few days, just take 30 minutes and, and, and meditate on that. Take 30 minutes and meditate on that aspect of God. When I say meditate, it can be prayer, it can be His Word, you can journal, you can paint, you can write a poem, you can listen to music. I don't know, do something that works for you, that fixes your mind and your heart on this aspect of God. And give it some space to behold the beauty of God. 30 minutes today or the next few days. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do not deserve a God like you. We've just skimmed the surface of your goodness this morning. And I've done a poor job of trying to do so. But I think we can all grasp this morning, God, that you are strong and powerful. You're loving, you're steadfast, you're beautiful, you're good. And Lord, as we behold your goodness and your beauty this morning, may it, in the ways that you know we each need, would would that filter into the details of our lives? Would you filter into our work this week? Would you filter into our relationships, our, our marriage, our parenting, our friendships? our interaction with our neighbors, 
Lord, we become whole and we become good as we know you. And as you make us into your likeness, so continue to do that work in us, God. We can't do it ourselves. We need your help. Thank you for your goodness and beauty. May we be a people who see it, who behold it, who shout and sing for joy in it, who cry and mourn in it when life is hard. And through this work, would you beautify us, Lord, so that we may display your splendor to the watching world. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.